one of the Las Vegas police officers started pushing him. Wow. Pushing him really bad. And so I was like, that was like it for me. I, I called 911 and I just said, you guys got to get somebody down here. What's going on is wrong. And the 911 operator asked me, you know, what I was wearing. And I told him, you know, khaki pants and a white shirt. And I mean, that was an interesting question. I didn't know why she asked that. I, I assumed it was so that, you know, when the lieutenant or sergeant or whatever arrived so they could find me in the parking lot. But what ended up happening was a couple minutes later, I got beaten up, arrested, and thrown in jail by three of those cops who were involved in that incident oh with uh, which is just kind of like incredible that that could happen but it did officers mark <laughs> kyle and jared <laughs> you know minutes after i made this phone call i end up on the ground with with those three officers you know and i remember i was down on the ground could barely breathe and one says where are you from i said california and he goes well, why don't you stay there wow <laughs> And, oh, uh, my. and my my friend Rhett was just shocked by this, by what oh, he was seeing. Man. And, uh, and and so yeah, I ended up going to jail. And then and then when I got out, I read this police report filled with things that simply did not happen. So wow. I'd always kind of been very pro law enforcement, and I still am actually. I mean, I still have friends who are cops, and I right. still believe most police officers are good. Mm -hmm. The problem is not that most police officers are bad. The problem is the ones who are get away with it almost 100% of the time, especially in Las Vegas. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Cinema After Dark podcast. My name is Max Cole, the host and producer of this podcast, and I am broadcasting from the entertainment capital of the world, sunny Los Angeles, California. The sun has set, and that beautiful moonlight is now upon us. Thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. I don't want to remind everyone listening that you can listen to all the episodes of this podcast if you subscribe to us on iTunes you can also find us on Stitcher TuneIn and Google Play remember if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast make sure you reach out to me via the contact link that is on our website over at cinemaafterdark.com please make sure you have some skin in the game though prior to reaching out and by skin in the game certainly need to have a few credits under your belt we ask that for credibility purposes we also want to have something to talk about also want to remind you that you can follow us on twitter at cinema after dark for the latest show updates this is an information and discussion based podcast so we do not censor ourselves and we sure the hell do not censor our guests so please keep in mind that there might be views and opinions expressed on this podcast that may not reflect the views and opinions of the host and that is certainly applicable for tonight's fantastic guest his name is ramsey dennison and goodness gracious he shot a very profound documentary that we're going to talk about titled what happened in vegas now ramsey grew up in seattle beach Florida and became interested in film and television when he got a job at WBCC TV 68 at the age of 18. Ramsey broke into television as an editor on A&E's hit show Chris Angel Mind Freak and has since worked on programs like Deadliest Warrior Catfish Untold Stories and Naked and Afraid. In 2017, he directed What Happened in Vegas. This is a shocking documentary 
about police corruption in Las Vegas, which has premiered at the 2017 Cinequest Film Festival. Now, this is a fantastic discussion, folks. Now, Ramsey actually was recording this, had this conversation while he was in a park. So he had stepped out of his day gig there and uh, took some time to speak with us. So I really appreciate him taking the time out to do that. So pardon the ambiance there. Might be a little wind blowing. Might, you might hear a, a chopper or two, maybe a bus or so pass. But it's a fantastic discussion, one that I'm really, really excited to share with all of you because the story is so, so important. So this is that part of the show where I ask that you make that fresh batch of popcorn. Sit back, relax, and get comfortable while you listen to tonight's guests. And just keep in mind that there are a lot of views and opinions expressed here that uh, are certainly opinions. We don't want to ruffle any feathers, but we just want to get this information out there to all of you. So please keep in mind here that you know, some of the names and identities of some of the individuals mentioned in this podcast will be censored. Is there any type of censoring we do to protect those that aren't able to speak for themselves or on behalf of themselves on this podcast? So enjoy this one, folks, and thanks for tuning in. Oh, my goodness. Have we got a treat for our listeners here, Mr. Ramsey. Dennis, and I want to thank you for coming on the show and hanging out with us. But I also kind of want to give a quick shout out to Ryan for facilitating this. My God, we've got so much to discuss here. Right. You know, this, well, yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, man, it is a pleasure. I mean, this documentary is, is simply outstanding. And I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm glad that you're able to uh, hang out with us here. And God, let's jump right in because there's so much to discuss, but I want to begin sure. this discussion by kind of rewinding a bit, giving our listeners a little bit of context. Would you mind sharing, you know, where you were born and raised and how sure. you got started in this whole thing? Yeah, well, I was born in Bellingham, Washington, you know, and then my dad, you know, we moved to Boise, Idaho. And then when I was about 11, my dad decided that he never wanted to scrape ice off his windshield again. So, uh, <laughs> so he packed us up and moved to Florida with that goal in mind. Well, I was 18 years old. I got a job at a TV station, WBCC TV 68, you know, and so, and, th and this is back in the days with like the three quarter inch tape. And, and, um, you know, so I started, you know, in the late nineties. So I started working that TV station. Then I made my way out to LA in 2004, started at the bottom, started doing a, as a data entry clerk in the business. And then I knew one person in LA and it just so happened that that one person I knew hooked me up with a job editing, actually assistant editing behind the scenes documentaries. And then I moved into editing behind the scenes documentaries. And from there I, I moved, moved up and worked in television. Wow. It's really um, so, cool. so I'm a television editor is my trade. Yeah. It's really cool to have someone with an editorial background. That's kind of how I got started. It was more music videos and commercials. I, so it's really cool to have you know, somebody who's got that editorial background on I, you know, the program. You've done some really cool stuff too. I don't Thank know if you, you want to talk about that a little bit, you know, some of the projects yeah, that you've you worked on. Yeah. I mean, I, I started on Chris Angel Mind Freak, you know, as, a, as an editor on, on that show, which was really, I was very happy to work on that show because I, I thought it was groundbreaking at the time. Yeah. You know, nobody would ever done magic like that on television. And then, you know, I, I moved on and was fortunate enough to work on shows like Catfish, Untold Stories yeah. and, uh, 
you know, and, and naked and afraid. So yeah, it's, it's been a great, I, I've been very lucky, you know, <laughs> it, it, I'm lucky that that one person I knew in LA steered me in the right direction and that I worked hard and was able to move up from there. Yeah. It's really cool how that kind of works out and oh, yeah. goodness, sometimes certain things the odds, are must be. The odds say it shouldn't, but it, it, it does sometimes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. By the way, yeah. I, I bet you've seen some really unique footage and, and the assembly for, you know, TV is a little different than it is for film. Sure. Do you want to talk about that briefly? Because I, I do sure. want to dive into your documentary, but I, I yeah. think it's cool, your, your backstory there. Yeah, television's very, very fast. And what they often do is they'll, you know, a lot of these shows, they'll rack up like 100 hours of footage. But basically, you've got to turn that around in like anywhere from two months to three months. And you say, how do you do that? How do you go through 100, over 100 hours of footage and turn it into a half hour, one hour show? And the answer is... They have very skilled teams in television. You know, you have story producers and editors and the story producers kind of go through the footage, find the, the good stuff. And then um, as an editor, it's your job to kind of take that good stuff and weave it into a coherent story. Right. That's kind of what I am. I'm the guy who looks through that hundreds of hours of footage and tries to make it into a, uh, a compelling half hour, one hour segment. Right. It's, it's no joke under some really tight deadlines. My yeah. God, say the least. So it's really cool that you yeah. have that background. Thank you. One thing, by the way, folks listening, Ramsey's <laughs> actually in a park in North Hollywood. So that's kind of a, a unique uh, little fun fact there. He's actually conducting this from a park in North Hollywood. I think that's kind of badass to say the least. Yeah, yeah just across the street from uh, from where I work, I'm working on a television show. And I just, I didn't want like producers coming into my bay and bothering me. So I just decided <laughs> to go to a park. So you hear an occasional siren or. I love um, that. You know, uh, um, yeah, yeah, helicopters <laughs> you never know yeah. out in la <laughs> yeah yeah but it's all better than somebody busting in and you know like a producer busting into the van you know <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff oh my yeah. i had to preface that because it's uh quite cool we haven't had anybody do that yet so i have to give you props for that man <laughs> yeah <laughs> but let's dive right in here and talk about this excellent documentary of yours what happened in vegas and it seems like every other month God, I checked my Twitter feed or at least every week, actually, at one point, it was like a literally a week of stories about innocent people getting murdered by police officers during routine stops. So this is a very timely documentary. And Vegas is one of my favorite places to visit. And those listening may not know that, but it's, you know, it's obviously one of the best adult getaways. But I, I must say that, you know, documentary like this makes me want to look at it a little bit differently. <laughs> oh, yeah. Vegas has some secrets. Oh, and the movie, God. you know, what happened in Vegas really delves into those secrets. And one of the secrets the movie explores is that the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, in my opinion, is one of the dirtiest and deadliest police departments in the country. And not a lot of people know that. And this is a wildly out of control police department. Oh, my God. I'm still a little left with my mouth open here let me give our listeners some context here first i want to say this ramsey it's it's very well shot edited and directed it's just fantastic it flows very well it's gripping i mean that's just an understatement from the beginning to the end i went through a series of emotions when i watched it i mean at first i was a bit pissed off then i was a little right. depressed <laughs> but sure. then i felt really encouraged and i want to talk about that and let me give our listeners some context give them kind of a synopsis of it what happened in vegas the movie police couldn't erase and filmmaker Ramsey Dennison is walking in Vegas when he sees a group of police officers abusing a stranger in custody shocked by what he's witnessing he calls 911 to report 
police brutality, only to find himself attacked by police and arrested after reading a police report filled with lies and discovering that the video documenting the attack was conveniently gone missing. Dennison investigates a terrifying pattern of police corruption and discovers that behind the shimmering surface of Las Vegas lies a police department with individuals willing to go to any lengths to cover up its crimes. Now, I think that is very profound. It's interesting how our society, you know, we think of police officers, and you brought this up in the documentary, as good, and we think of criminals as bad. So it's great that you've created like a kind of like a true piece here that explores the darker side of law enforcement. On it Vegas. changed my perception. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd always I'd always been more on that. You know, I have friends who are police officers and I've worked on a lot of true crime shows and true crime shows are always kind of like, you know, there's the bad guys and and the good guys, the cops catch them. Yep. And uh, so I'd always kind of been very pro law enforcement. And I still am, actually. I mean, I still have friends who are cops and I right. still believe most police officers are good. Mm-hmm. The problem is not that most police officers are bad. The problem is the ones who are get away with it almost 100 percent of the time, especially in Las Vegas. I mean, accountability in that department, <laughs> it's laughable. Oh. I mean, it doesn't exist. I mean, this is pulling their officers accountable is not something that often occurred to Sheriff Doug or Joe. Yeah. They allow this culture of pretty much whatever the police do. They were right. They're justified. And if uh, videotape needs to go disappearing, then, uh, then it goes disappearing. Oh my, let's dive into this. Cause yeah, this stuff really got me. I don't know. My, my skin started to boil here. Let's start, you know, it starts with your friend, Rhett. There's an individual in handcuffs and the cops, you know, squeeze the handcuffs or tightening them and they're kind of laughing while they, you know, laughing while they torture yeah. this guy. And I'll yeah, let you take it from his there. Mama raised an F up. So, oh so what happened is, you know, I was walking through a parking lot and um, with my friend, Rhett, Rhett Nielsen. And um, Rhett has an interesting background. He was actually, you know, I mentioned that I have friends who work in law enforcement and Rhett had actually been a SWAT team videographer in Las Vegas for, I think, six or seven years. He wasn't currently a SWAT videographer, but he, he'd done that, I think, up to 2011. And so he'd been on like hundreds of Las Vegas SWAT incidents where he'd seen people getting arrested, and, you know, follow the police on these raids. We we're walking to the parking lot and I didn't know who this guy was, but yeah. we saw some guy in handcuffs and he was kind of bent over the front of a police car. And there were four police officers just, you know, and, and one of them was kind of it, it appeared to be like kind of twisting the cuffs and he was like screaming. And the other officers were just kind of laughing at him and telling him that his mama raised an F up. You know, does your mama yeah. know she raised an F up? Does she you know that, son? Does your mama man. know you're an F up? And so Rhett and I actually, you know, we'd had a great night. And, I, I, and, and all of a sudden, this is totally unexpected. We just sat there and watched this for a couple minutes. These four officers, these four Las Vegas police officers kind of laughing at this guy. And what appeared to me kind of torturing him and enjoying it. And Red just turned to me and goes, this is really bad. I've never seen anything like this. And um, But this continued to go on. And then what happened is the guy's friend, and, and I don't know this guy, you know, yeah. but this guy's friend walked over to the police and asked, like, why are you doing this to my friend? He was upset. And one of the officers, one of the Las Vegas police officers started pushing him. Wow. Pushing him really bad. And so I was like, that was like it for me. I, I called 911. And I just said, you guys got to get somebody down here. What's going on is wrong. And the 911 operator asked me, you know, what I was wearing. And I told him, you know, khaki pants and a white shirt. 
And I mean, that was an interesting question. I didn't know why she asked that. I, I assumed it was so that, you know, when the lieutenant or sergeant or whatever arrived so they could find me in the parking lot. But what ended up happening was a couple minutes later, I got beaten up, arrested and thrown in jail by three of those cops who were involved in that incident oh, with my. Uh, which is just kind of like incredible that that could happen, but it did. Officers Mark, Kyle, and Jared, you know, minutes after I made this phone call, I end up on the ground with, with those three officers, you know, and I remember I was down on the ground, could barely breathe. And one of them says, where are you from? I said, California. And he goes, well, why don't you stay there? Wow. <laughs> and, oh, uh, my. And my, my friend, Rhett, was just shocked by this, by what oh, he was seeing. Man. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I end up going to jail. And then, and then when I got out, I read this police report filled with things that simply did not happen. Wow. The guy who wrote the report, I believe his name was Cole. And I don't know if he's ever considered a career in fiction, but I think he should because he's clearly able. Because when I read that police report, I thought, wow, this guy's really good at making up events that didn't exist. Oh, you know, and then, and then I called the club where this happened and tried to get a copy of the, uh, of the video and they said oh it was a sunday night the cameras weren't recording that night oh, we don't have copy of the footage because uh those cameras in the parking lot we don't always run those cameras and you know and i said to them, i said i don't believe you i think that's a lie and i think you'd have to think that i'm really stupid to believe that and i right. don't believe right. you know and i said that but the truth is what you find is the deck's really stacked against the citizen when wow. in, in these situations, I mean, think about it. I go away for three days. That gives them time to do whatever they need to do and create whatever narrative they need to create to justify the arrest. But it was, it was just I, I'll never forget the experience of picking up a copy of my police report and reading it and just simply going, wow, this stuff did not happen. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but they had to create those events. Yeah. yeah they it's... had to pull who wrote the report. He had to, like, create events to justify beating up, arresting, and throwing a citizen in jail. Oh, and he my. did that. And then it, it, does it matter that the events didn't happen? I guess not. They got away with it. And, you know, that's what happens in Vegas. Police officers get away with just about anything. Holy and that's what, that's what my movie, What Happened in Vegas, examines, is this wildly out of control, wildly corrupt police department. My God, that is crazy. This is all for a 911 call, folks. Yeah, to try to get somebody, a sergeant there, to stop somebody from being abused. And from that, I end up getting beat up by those same cops. It's Yeah, it's unbelievable, but it happened. Wow. Yep. Yeah, let's talk about this now. You you know, it's this shot really well. Your cinematographer did a great job with this. A lot of interesting drone shots that look like as well. I guess you used the drone, right? It looked like there were a lot of... Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah. What was the production yeah. process like? for you and how are you able to grab all that excellent footage that's a good question you know i started the movie shortly after this happened and we always kind of knew that drones were going to play a big part in it just because what i found was that this is all ultimately this police corruption in las vegas is ultimately tied to money and the glittery kind of like image of las vegas would play a big character in this movie and what i came to realize is that so vegas is a town run on money the right. big money runs down and the big money is also the reason why these shootings don't get more media attention because they own the big money owns the newspapers in Vegas. You know, Sheldon Adelson owns the Las Vegas Review Journal. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a coincidence that, you know, the, that the media outlets in Vegas are kind of like owned by the big money. It's a tourism town. You know, when you have over 40 million visitors a year, bring in billions of dollars. Well, police shootings, 
police corruption, that stuff's bad for business. So it's kind of interesting that you don't hear about a lot of shootings in Las Vegas and it's kind of yeah. not an accident. Yeah, they do a good but job of keeping it out of the press. I just talked like a minute and not answered. It's, uh, I, we began, you know, I began just kind of like shooting, shooting the movie in late 2013. I reached out to a guy named Kelly Patterson who does some police activism work there in Vegas. And he was really helpful and like kind of like steering me in the right direction. And there was another guy who was actually a former Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department lieutenant named Norm Jan, who's very critical of the department. And I read some of his articles. And so I contacted Norm and I actually flew out to uh, Michigan and interviewed him because he was wise enough to move out of Las Vegas to, to realize that, uh, you know, if you're writing these things about one of the dirtiest departments in the country, it's probably not a good idea to be living in, in Las Vegas. Oh so my. I flew out, you know, that's really what got the ball rolling. And so I started doing interviews, you know, and then we, we realized drones would be important just to, just to cut. And so uh, we, you know, we got like a drone operator on board and he began just kind of filming, you know, even though I wasn't in Vegas, he would just go out and film stuff oh, wow. for us. Is that a pain in the ass, you know, getting the drone permits or are they pretty good about that there? Permits? Yeah. Do you have to have them there? Cause here you do. <laughs> permits? <laughs> yeah. Cause I, oh, you would think interesting, interesting. <laughs> Hey, La, hey, Las Vegas film office, we're making this movie about how out of control and corrupt your police department is. Could you give us a permit gotcha. for that? <laughs> no, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have that conversation because I knew how it would go. It's very important to understand that Vegas, the public offices in Vegas are all about protecting that image of come to Las Vegas, have a lot of fun, win a lot of money. And yeah. anything that's critical of Vegas is not going to be well received. And wow. um, how do I permits i'm sure there would have been a big rejected stamp punched on them okay cool cool well it's good that you were able to get that footage guerrilla style because i would imagine i mean you know you got some really great shots i'm glad nobody noticed the drones flying overhead because here it's like a different story they didn't notice them we had encounters with law enforcement over the drones oh my i remember one time we were on the strip you know we'd gotten a shot by caesar's palace a really nice shot it was our last shot of the night and we you know we landed it we're real happy we were just like walking away and all of a sudden four police cars roll up four las vegas metropolitan police department cars roll up and it was homeland security and they immediately took away the drone handcuffed us and like put the drone on the hood of the car and me and rhett are just like sitting there and by las vegas boulevard you know and handcuffs. i just remember this one guy walked by and he looked at us, he saw the drone, he saw these guys in cuffs, and he goes, whoa, did you cops use that drone to capture those criminals? <laughs> but, uh, so we had encounters like that. It was pretty scary. But as it turns out, what happened is they just wanted to make sure that we were not terrorists. So, mm-hmm. so they had to check that out, and they ran background checks, and they basically concluded we weren't terrorists. And actually, to be honest with you, I have no problem with what those officers did. I think that they yeah, should good. do what they did. Yeah, I think good. that was actually an example of good policing. Absolutely. That was uh, Officer TJ. Um, I forget his last name. But he, he was a good officer. He was kind of the, the head guy in charge. He was very reasonable to us. And they just, he explained, he said, hey, look, guys, I mean, you know, we got to make sure that you're not dropping a bomb on the Bellagio or whatever, you know? Right. And I said, I completely understand that, sir. And if I was you, I would do the same thing. And so they basically concluded that we'd done nothing wrong and they let us go. So, oh, cool. you know, there's, there's plenty of officers like that in Vegas too, yeah. like who are good officers. And, you know, I would even say the vast majority. And so, um, you know, I, they were completely reasonable. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. That was, yeah. Cool. Now you brought up a chilling fact in this documentary that 
if a police officer shoots someone, they get six weeks off, like a paid well, vacation. Right. Some officers get that. Um, some officers get more. A officer Jesus was actually put on ice for almost two years when they investigated the Stanley Gibson shooting. And um, he made, I believe, over $200,000 for that. Holy shit. My God. Yeah. Unreal. Oh, let's yeah. let's talk about that. I'm going to just get into that then. I'm getting me fired up already here, sir. My uh, goodness. This documentary gives light to three super fucked up situations. Actually, more than three situations, but there were three that really stuck out. You got you know, Trayvon Cole basically gets the death sentence for selling a little bit of marijuana. You got Eric Scott, a licensed gun owner, basically gets assassinated outside of Costco. And obviously, Stanley Gibson, you just mentioned gets murdered yeah. during a simple miscommunication, wooden bullet fired. Video cameras just wasn't working outside Costco that day. Video oh. cameras, don't, you know, they often just don't work when Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department officers are around. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it works when they want to, you know, <laughs> to oh, book yeah, a suspect. No, when they're but, in the right. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, uh, but, you know, it's kind of interesting because I haven't had that problem. You know, I've been doing video, making movies since I was a kid, and pretty much every time I try to use a video camera, like hundreds of times, it works. Right. So it's just really interesting that <laughs> well, they uh, malfunction at most of these times. Fail so often when they're around, man. I mean, I, I just really feel sorry for the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department that they can't get video cameras to work. My goodness, <laughs> outrageous. But Stanley Gibson, you know, officer thinks that the fire round is coming from the wooden bullet or whatever was fired from the suspect, so he fires back, murdering this gentleman in his car. I think the most frustrating, disappointing, and devastating thing about all these situations is that all these men were un armed and uh you know even eric i mean obviously he was licensed so it was just that whole case just pissed me off all these situations just got me unnerved now how did you decide which cases you wanted to pursue did you already have a few in mind well that was kelly norm were really helpful those are the two i i mentioned earlier yeah. and it was the kind of where i i just couldn't believe what had happened to me i couldn't believe right. you could beat up arrest and throw a citizen in jail simply for making a 911 call and that they could get away with it right you know mm -hmm. like because i reported this to internal affairs and i dealt with you know they opened an investigation and i dealt with a detective named michelle and christopher who worked for internal affairs and i explained to them what had happened and i just remember like talking to christopher who was never anything but a jerk to me. And I, I got the idea right away that he wasn't on my side. Nothing was going to happen. We won. Screw you. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember taking, like, the first time I talked to him, I kind of, like, got this whiff of that he didn't like me, that he didn't care about, you know, and that nothing was going to happen. I mean, wow. it, it's just, and that's really pretty much when I abandoned the traditional route of trying to get justice because there was just such an arrogance yeah. and uh, about officers like Christopher and detective Michelle, who was the other person investigating this, but they were not helpful. They did not believe me and they did not care. Well, actually, to be honest with you, I think they did believe me yeah. <laughs> to be yeah. honest because mm -hmm. it's such an outrageous story, yeah. but they didn't, but they didn't. It wasn't a priority. It, it didn't, yeah. It wasn't yeah. a, well, it, I, it I think like, what it is, is people like that, they have to, their boss yeah. they have to like do the things that they can't if they stand up for what they think is right what i've learned is a lot of las vegas police officers who've done that who've recognized injustice and stood up for it they end up being a target and they end up aced out of the department so i think oh, i think detective michelle and uh christopher 
I think they weren't interested in that. Gotcha. You know, they might have known what was wrong was wrong, but the bottom line is they didn't do anything about it, and they're part of the problem. Officers like them are part of the problem because instead of doing what's right, they do what's not going to get them fired. And so they go along with the system. And in this case, they went along with a system that basically allowed three officers to not be disciplined for <laughs> beating up, arresting, and throwing a citizen in jail just for calling 911 to report them. You know, and I remember actually, I contacted Detective and I told her, I, I just said, I want you to know that, you know, I don't know how your family views you. I'm sure they view you as a good person, but I view you as somebody who simply helped keep three dirty officers on the streets. And that's what you are to me, Detective You're somebody who helped keep three dirty, bad Las Vegas police officers on the streets. And to me, you're nothing more than that. You're part of the problem. And I don't care what you think about it. That's what I think about it. And that's true. Right. Uh, and, that, and those are the last words I ever said to her. Wow. And, uh, you know, and I, and I would say the same thing to Christopher. Yeah, I could get him on the phone. You know, they're not most officers are not bad, but there are a lot of officers that are just they know something wrong is occurring and they don't do anything about it because it could cost them their job. And, yeah. and I, I put I put Detective and Christopher in that category. Gotcha. Gotcha. On so that. Those people aren't doing anything to help the problem either. Right. And back to the doc for a second, though, I, and, and, uh, your experience and then these gentlemen's experience are no longer with us really inter, you know, intertangle pretty uh, profoundly here. Right. I'd love to know how you really decided on these particular stories. You know, was that just uh, obviously after having that conversation with the other gentleman you mentioned? Yeah. And I kind of sat down with them over lunch and they told me about the Eric Scott case where yeah. this guy basically went into Costco to get a water bottle and ended up getting murdered. And the videotapes went disappearing and the family never got any money. They never got any justice. And the officer, um, William, who shot Eric Scott, was back out on the streets yeah. working as a cop. They completely got away with this. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it isn't. It's not right that the video, you know, the narrative that they, and what was interesting about the Stanley Gibson case is, and the, one of the reasons I believe there was justice in a settlement in that case. Mm-hmm was because there was a video and right. the police didn't know about it. Yeah. But the video that we have of the actual shooting, that was some teenage girl who was in the apartment complex and the police were not aware that video existed. So what mm. happened is good old Sheriff Doug Gillespie went up in, fr- in a press conference and said that Stanley was using his vehicle as a battering ram and officers right. were engaged. And then what happened is the video surfaced and then it was like, oops, <laughs> Actually, that's what happened because the video showed that none of that was true. Right. That he wasn't using his vehicle as a battering ram. And, um, but that's what people like Sheriff Doug do. They always present it like the officer's life was in danger. Yeah. And even if not. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. the video showed that he was a flat out liar. Right. right. And, um, and so that's why they ended up getting a settlement. Rhonda got $1.6 million and Jesus Arevalo ended up getting fired. Right. Because, you have to ask yourself, I believe the only reason there was justice in that case is because there was a video. If it's the officer's word against anyone else's, it, it, it all, they always believe the officer, even when the officer's a liar. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, yeah. just absolutely crazy. Even the, the Cole situation was brutal because that the whole situation yeah. was set up on camera and 
Oh God, he you know gets basically assassinated in his place after a raid. That's just shot yeah, in the head. I mean, he's still out there. He he works for the police union now. Yeah, and get this: one of his responsibilities is to like counsel officers about shootings. Jesus. You have one of the worst police officers in Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department history who was involved in three shootings his first 10 years on the force, counseling other officers on how to do their job. Is this a joke? No, and and this jerk, this jerk still works for the police union and makes like over a hundred thousand dollars a year. I think he's even up there in the ranks. I think he's close to being like the director of the Las Vegas protective police association or something like that. It almost feels like they do this as a middle finger to the public. Right. You know, I mean it, that, that it might not be that way, but why else would you put a piece of crap like that in charge of counseling others and give him some high paying executive job when the guy's clearly demonstrated time and time again, that he's garbage as a police officer and yeah. not only doesn't deserve to have a badge, but in my opinion belongs in a prison cell. Wow. I wow. think Brian, a criminal i think he's a piece of crap and i think he belongs behind bars My and God. i think a grave injustice to teron cole's family that this piece of garbage is out there working and at the police union and i would encourage the citizens of las vegas to stand up and say we're not putting up with this this isn't right yeah yeah but it's good that you're you know i, th- I think it's good that you're getting the message out there i mean l- let's because uh, i want to talk about that you know you talk about these families and how they are impacted by this because i I think this stuff is really devastating. You know, it's life changing for all of these families. You know, families are really broken up, you know, by these innocent people getting killed by, you know, people that are supposed to be there to serve and protect them. What was right. it like talking to some of the families of the victims? You know, that's. You know, yeah. You learn real quick that money doesn't fix much of anything. I mean, Rhonda Gibson. Um, you know, Stanley Gibson, I mean, she was given a settlement. I think it was, it was either 1.4 or $1.7 million, but um, it just didn't mean much to her. She didn't yeah. care. She, she didn't want that. that money. She wanted Stan. Right. And now Stan Gibson wasn't there anymore. I've just, you know, actually, I remember in Vegas, a lot of people are saying, well, she got her money. Hey it's man, I, I've spent that. days with her. I've seen her and I can tell you, she doesn't give a crap about that money. Right. You know? And um, it was the same thing with the, the Eric Scott's family, who I got oh to God. know really well. Yeah, and his dad was just pissed. You could just tell. Bill Scott is just a fantastic guy, and he's became a close friend. And he's just a terrific guy, a lot of integrity. Right. And, um, but you can just kind of tell that it's things will same. never be the same again. Yeah. And that they lost. And as I really got to know these families, I came to understand what, a, what good people these were. Yeah. Stan was a good guy. Trevon was a great guy. Eric Scott was a great guy, West Point graduate. Yeah. You know, handsome, successful guy yep. who got murdered for no good reason. Right. You know, literally, and literally his gun was Metropolitan Police Department officers got away with it. Yeah. That's what they, and justice. literally, um, and by, by the way, with, with Eric too, it's so crazy that he was helping someone that day. He's helping someone. And, uh, that's what led to them being able to, to see that he was carrying a gun and he was legally able to do that. And yeah, I think he's helping someone with water. Well, well, you're allowed to carry yeah. a gun yeah. in Vegas, and Eric Scott was carrying a gun because he it was part of his job. You know, yeah. he went in some bad neighborhoods, and so he he had a permit to carry a gun. Right, that's just outrageous so, to say yeah. the least. Oh, it's just crazy how these families are impacted by it. Now, the story about the gentleman who got cuffed 
and taken to jail for you know not showing his ID and exercising his rights was pretty fucked right. up too. Silk Galloway, yeah, Silk's a good friend of mine. He became a good friend of mine. He's a very smart guy. Yeah, and, and I I came to know him and his family. This was a really good guy, and it just really made me angry that they treated him like this. And I don't believe any of this would have happened if you weren't black. Right. Absolutely. And. And I think he was a black man in a Lexus. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why this happened. I don't think he would have been pulled over. He wasn't and, even uh, driving, folks. Yeah. He wasn't even driving. He's a passenger in a vehicle. He committed no crime. And he ends up on the ground getting the crap punched out of him and in jail with yep. some bogus charges, you know? And that's not right. That's not okay. And it's not acceptable. And those officers need to be punished for their blatant racism and their absurd and outrageous lack of accountability yeah. that the Los Metropolitan Police Department has become known for. Oh, God. It makes but, me sick. By the way, how many hours of footage uh, were you able to capture in general for all of this? And, you know, how many hours of footage did you have to break down? About 60 hours of footage. Wow. Spectacular. Yeah. My God. That's awesome. And I mean, I, was, I edited this in my spare time over three years while I was working on television shows. So it was arduous. But it was, yeah. I, I'd do it on the weekends. I'd head up to Vegas on the weekends, tried to keep, make, made great efforts to keep the project low profile so nobody knew about it. Yeah. Because I was definitely worried about the consequences of the LVMPD finding out about the project and maybe getting pulled over. And, oh, all of a sudden, what's this in your pocket? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that may sound ridiculous. No, but. But, uh, but, yeah. but the Las Vegas Police Department is ridiculous. My God, yeah. And they're really good at being ridiculous, and they're really good at getting away with whatever they want to get away with, no matter how unjust it is. So, by the way, this, you know, this uh, one, one thing I want to say here is what I really appreciate about this documentary is that it takes like a really hopeful turn there towards the end. How did you connect with Officer Larry Burns, who now retired, but his story is probably one of the most inspirational because there's a lot of, you know, excellent. Well, Larry Burns was a really good friend of my friend in the movie, Rhett Nielsen, who was the former Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department SWAT team videographer. Yeah. And he'd worked alongside Larry for years doing SWAT videography. And while I was making the movie, Rhett kept telling me about this great cop, this magical guy, Larry Burns. Yeah. You know, he's cool. I, and honestly, at first I was just like, you know, I wasn't real in a like, let's go give a cop a hug mood to be honest with you. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then what happened is I actually met him one day and I was like, Rhett, you're right. This guy's amazing. Yeah. Like this, this guy's a great guy. And I honestly believe that if somebody like him was in charge of the department, things would be a lot better. I mean, there's just such an integrity about Larry. It's like, you could just see it in his eyes and, and you could see that this was the kind of guy who'd, who'd rather talk out of a situation than have to use physical violence. Right. And, and I think that's a big problem in Vegas. I think they're overly aggressive and you have guys who actually, when it comes down to it, want to kick ass. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have, to, like, it's similar to football. It's like, you know, most of the guys on the team, they don't want to hurt the other player. They just want to make a tackle and bring him down. But there's always that one kid on the team who wants to inflict pain. He wants to like actually hurt people. And I think you have a lot of those kind of people on right. the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. People wow. who would rather kick ass than talk their way out of a situation or, you know, and I think that's why one of the fundamental problems is you have a lot of really bad, over aggressive cops on that department. And because former Sheriff Doug created this culture where the police get away with everything, it, 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 it exacerbates the problem because there's never any punishment and never any repercussions. Right. So 
So you can be wild, brutal, wildly out of control and um, get away with it. Yeah. And you're back on the street working, drawing a check. It's not acceptable. It's absurd. It's disgraceful. And it needs to be changed. Right. At least you know? you're bringing attention to this. This is why this documentary is really, really important. He deserved massive criticism. The Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department deserves a massive amount of criticism. They've been kind of lying low. They haven't gotten the criticism they deserve. And when the public truly understands the things they've done and the lengths they've gone to to cover these things up, I think they'll be outraged. And I think the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department will get what they deserve to get. And my hope is that the citizens of Las Vegas stand up and say, hey, this isn't acceptable. <laughs> this isn't acceptable. We're not putting up with this anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah. it's disturbing. By the way, yeah. something about Larry there. You know, this idea of community policing, having more eyes on the ground and building those relationships is is what I think, you know, society is considers to be good in terms of kind of what it's all about. And I'm sure it's kind of rare. Actually, I'm not even sure if it's kind of rare. I don't know if this stuff goes on. You really don't see a lot of stories like this. It's quite interesting. But I think that's the type of society where you want to live in, where the, you know, the police officers are sort of connected to the community right. and did you discover larry's backstory while you were filming because that's one thing that was curious about had you known yeah. all that before or did- Rhett, yeah Rhett is a good friend of mine and he helped out with a lot of the filming of what happened in vegas and so he was always telling me about larry and after yeah. about a year i finally met him and i was convinced and became an even bigger fanboy of him than Rhett because i understood that to me this was the perfect cop he was Six foot four, he was strong. Yeah. He was in charge of the SWAT team. And this was a guy who could lay it down when he needed to. He was strong. He was built like an ox. He didn't want to, though. Yeah. He, he also had the gifts of communication and compassion. And I noticed that he would far rather talk his way out of a situation. And that he used to say, only use force when it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. Not just justified, because everything's justified in Vegas but absolutely necessary. And that was his motto. And that's what he would tell the members of his SWAT team before he went on these raids. And just looking into his eyes and seeing who he was, I knew that he truly believed that. And his SWAT team believed that. I mean, he ran a very good SWAT team. And and also just the incredible respect for Larry Burns. I mean, I just love him because he's the real thing, man. And I just felt like if you have someone like this in charge of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, you had a chance. If you don't, well, let's, what's happened in Vegas? Joe in charge. The murder rate increased 91% in 2016. Right. By the way, let me, let me say this too, because let me interject here, because, you know, it sucks that we don't hear more stories about gentlemen like Larry, because he kind of wears the badge, as you said, with honor. And, you know, it sucks that he lost that election uh, because it, I think he would have made a significant difference. And it was cool how you brought up how while he was in tenure and was as an officer, you know, the, the crime rate went down like 60% during his tenure, but it increased yeah. after that, you know, the yeah, in the Bolden area command, he was a, he was a captain of the Bolden area command, which is one of the worst crime areas of the city. Yeah. And he, he managed to bring crime down in that area by, with this idea of community policing, of right. getting to know the citizens in a community and building trust with them so that when they do know something wrong is happening, they'll actually call you. Right. So Larry, when he was at Bolnary Command, he, they brought the crime rate down with that philosophy. Yeah. I think it's great that you chose to show that side of it in the film. I felt like that's really what made this even more profound. You know, because you hear the stories all day, you know, all week, all year 
about people getting murdered. And I think that affects us and our trust for the law enforcement agents in general. But the fact that you were able to pinpoint somebody who's really making a difference, really made a difference as what we kind of want our police officers to be. I thought that was really, really awesome. And I think he's really, really awesome. You know, I didn't even, I've never met him, but he just seems like an awesome police officer. He's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Yeah. yeah. And and, and to this day, he's still a friend of mine. And, um, and I think a lot of people would tell you that about Larry Burns, that he's, you know, you go through life and you meet a lot of people and some people, they're just another guy. Yeah. Not Larry Burns, man. He's something special. And, um, you knew it right away. It's just, there's just not a lot of people with his kind of integrity. It may, you know, I remember hearing a story about, you know, Larry started off in his early twenties. He was working for a contractor and he was, because of his excellent leadership abilities, he was on route to make, like they were, they wanted to move him up into management mm-hmm. and all this stuff and make a lot of money. He struggled with that because he didn't feel like he was making a difference in the world. And he thought he took a job as a police officer because he thought that even though he'd only make half as much money, it was an ability to like day in, day out, make a difference. Right. So he did. He took a huge pay cut and became a Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department officer. So that's the kind of person wow. you're talking about. It's somebody who walked away from a high paying job because he felt he could make a difference. Yeah, and, that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad that's you. That's not easy to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad you really uh, kind of give us another perspective there to consider, you know, because everybody's not all bad and, you know, police officers have a tough gig. It's no joke and uh, some really good ones out there. And I'm glad that you really showed us one that's uh, making a difference in all the right ways. And by the way, the reconciliation between, you know, the one police officer and uh, Danley's wife was profound. And I'll leave it at that. Right. I thought that was really profound. Does this film have a message? I think the message is that we have a problem in America that police are not being held accountable and that this is a real thing. I saw it when it happened to me. I never realized it was a problem until it happened to me. It is a problem. Police truly are not held accountable in this country, but that there's a solution. And the solution is to move more towards this community oriented paradigm and have the right kind of people being police officers in the first place. Meaning, People, it starts with leadership, compassion, and empathy. And if you have those qualities in an officer, you have a chance for law enforcement to build a relationship with the community. When you have no transparency, you know, a culture of violence where videotapes are allowed to go disappearing and officers are always justified, then you have a situation like you have in Las Vegas where bad officers, murderers, in my opinion, are not held accountable and they're right back out there with their badges drawing a huge paycheck, and they shouldn't be. Some of these right. guys belong behind bars. In my opinion, Brian <laughs> chief among them. Oh, my. Uh, no, uh, he, he's, it's incredible that he yeah. was not only allowed to, it, I think it's incredible that he wasn't thrown in prison. Right, right. But not only that, I mean, Trevon Cole's dead yep. for no reason. Yeah. And this guy not only wasn't thrown in prison, he wasn't even kicked off the force. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable that, that this guy comes into work every day, drawing a huge paycheck and has no repercussions for taking a life for no reason. Oh God. Yeah. Makes me sick to say the least. Now I've got a couple more here for you. I know you're pressed for time here. You know, what's next for you in terms of this film? I understand it premiered at the 2017 Cinequest film festival. Are you still exploring the festival circuit? Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, we've got five screenings coming up here in April. Awesome. The Newport Beach Film Festival. Oh, cool. On the, on, yeah, on the 22nd yeah. you know, of April at 2.45 p.m. Love to have you guys come out and see the film. I'll be there doing Q&A. And then um, we're also playing at the Finline Film Festival in Texas. And then we're playing at the Las Vegas Black Film Festival at the end of April as well. But yeah, and then we have other festivals in the future. And then, you know, we're talking to distributors and... You know, we really want the film out there because I believe this is a solvable problem. Right. I believe it is, too. Absolutely. Right. We can certainly increase the accountability and, you know, the repercussions of killing innocent people and right. better policing. You know, it can always be improved. It should be improved. And uh, God, I got to ask you this question here before we wrap. And uh, right. do you fear for your life as a creator of this film? Because it exposes a lot. Yeah, that's a good question. I do. I mean, I think when you call 911 to report police brutality and you end up beaten up, arrested and thrown in jail and watch the police officers get away with it. And you read a police report filled with lies and then hear nonsense about the video disappearing. The message is very clear. We're not accountable. Right. (laughs) Right. And, and whatever our officers do, they're going to get away with. They got away with everything they did to me. And so I do have that fear sometimes, and I, but I also fear that if they did do something, they'd get away with it because the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department always does. But at the same time, the truth is the truth. Right. And my movie tells the truth, and uh, I'm one person, you know, and if I can create something even in a small way that changes, helps shine a light on things or, or changes things for other people and makes things better, then uh, what happens to me happens to me. Oh, my. <laughs> you know? Wow. Uh, I mean, we don't want anything how, to happen to you. I mean, the bottom line is this film's the truth, right? If it right. was, if it wasn't the truth, we couldn't get insurance, yes. you know, errors and omissions insurance and then distributors wouldn't be interested. So this, the film is shocking, but it's also true. Yeah. It's and so important. The last- well, folks, I think we might've lost Mr. Dennison and God, what a great discussion that was. We weren't able to do, our normal segment there a little surprise for him but i want to say what a great discussion that was i want to give a shout out to mr ryan for again facilitating this wonderful discussion and folks definitely check out this film this film is just profound it's one of the most unique documentaries i've watched it's titled what happens in vegas again now, for those that aren't familiar with it, make sure you check this out at a festival near you. And hopefully this gets the right distribution because stories like this are why folks do documentaries. It's certainly a topic there that I believe has significant importance. And I want to stress that this is certainly an opinion-based show. So a lot of the you know, views and expressions on this are certainly you know opinions from you know, Mr. Ramsey's uh Denison's uh, perspective there, and I appreciate that he came on this podcast to share that with all of you, but it looks like we lost him. I know he was pretty busy there, and he said he had some producers calling him, so (laughs) I appreciate the fact that he took a little bit of time out of his day to come on this podcast. I apologize for the wind and everything, but he was literally sitting in a park, and I wanted to get this wonderful interview over to you. He's a fantastic filmmaker, somebody that I believe has a bright bright future ahead and this story is going to resonate with a lot of people so make sure 
you check this out. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to fade out here. That was Mr. Ramsey Dennison. Make sure you check out what happened in Vegas. Make sure you follow it on Twitter. The Twitter account for it will be in the show notes, but it's W-H-V-A-G-A-S doc. So that's W-H-V-A-G-A-S-D-O-C on Twitter. Look for What Happened in Vegas on Facebook. And the website is What Happened in Vegas, the movie.com. So folks, thanks for tuning in here to the Cinema After Dark podcast and kind of a cool way to exit there. We haven't had an opportunity to exit sort of abruptly like that. Hopefully he is okay, but... <laughs> What a great discussion that was. My God, what's going on out there in this world is quite disturbing to say the least. Shout out to all the police officers and law enforcement officers out there that are making a difference every day. It's unfortunate that there are a few bad seeds there amongst those that are really doing some wonderful things to serve and protect us with honor. So shout out to all the wonderful police officers out there. And on that note, we will be back with more after this break you are listening to the cinema after dark podcast my name is max cole and i host this show and hopefully you are feeling inspired spending a wonderful time tonight I want to remind everyone that you can find us on itunes stitcher TuneIn, and google play make sure you subscribe to us there greatly appreciate that obviously please spread the word about the show follow us on twitter at cinema after dark again thank you all for listening and we will be back with more shortly and welcome back to the Cinema After Dark podcast here tonight. Before we wrap, I want to thank our guests again, Mr. Ramsey Dennison. What a great discussion that was. My gosh, make sure you check out this film if you haven't already done so. Again, it is a very profound and important story there. And my gosh, I just feel sorry for all those wonderful people that uh, lost their lives in the hands of those that are you know, serving to protect us. That is always disturbing to hear stories like this, but I want to thank Ramsey for being a bold filmmaker and for telling this story. I think much of this is just about uh, getting the word out there. You know, it's, it's really about, you know, kind of sharing these stories that need to be told. So thanks again, Ramsey for coming on the show. Thank you, Rye for arranging it and most importantly, I want to thank all of you for tuning in tonight. Obviously, this podcast does not exist without you, wonderful people out there listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate it and continue to spread the word. My goodness, if you want to be a guest, please reach out to me via the contact form. We might not be able to get you scheduled right away because we're pretty booked, but we'll definitely get you on the schedule. You just got to make sure you got some skin in the game there and and I have some really good stuff to talk about here. I'm all about bringing good content to all of you wonderful folks that are listening. With that said, have a wonderful night. Dream big.